Hey, it's Chris. And Kylie. We're just a couple of jerks who need help following Jesus. Our podcast is all about humility. And finding direction and purpose. Especially when life gets hard or things don't turn out like we thought they would. Welcome to Following Jesus for Jerks. You are absolutely ridiculous. Why is that? Because you're making fun. and you're, I'm making fun. I don't care. You're just my personality. Just my general aura. <laughs> Stare, <laughs> staring into, gazing into my eyes once again. How are you? I'm good. It's a little rainy out. It is rainy. Man, it's really rainy, actually. I think it sounded like maybe is, hail. Is it just me? It, seriously, is it just me? Or has there been more and more significant storms this season in Indiana? Are we, is this are we going to have a climate change? Ooh, episode? let's do it! Let's do it. <laughs> we have had as, some pretty as bad we drink storms. through our plastic, plastic single use water bottles. You're not saving the planet. No. Do you recycle? I used to a whole lot more. Yeah. Actually, I was really gung ho about recycling when I came back to Indiana. Yeah. Really gung ho, like in a self righteous way. <laughs> and uh, and then it kind of fell off a little bit. Do you recycle? I still do. You yes. do. Okay. I do. Yes. Everything. I no. I used to recycle everything. Do you remember back in the day, early on, where you had to separate everything? I don't think I was in and Indiana take it somewhere. That. Yeah, you had to like glass was in one, and I mean that must have been very long in ago. Another. Yeah. Yeah. Not in the last six. And years. maybe that was just what we did. I yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, I've always lived places that had, except for Alabama, we that have had pretty significant a, recycling programs. We have a uh, a recycling container and a trash container. Yeah. And. Recycling gets picked up every other week. Yes, same. And it, we, it's overflowing yeah. every single time. At one, at one point, when I was trying really, really hard, my goal was to recycle more than I threw away. Mm. And, I, and I, I, I feel like there were, there were weeks where I reached it, but it wasn't a sustainable thing. Well, but, that grew, were, but, that, but I've, I've, I've gotten away from that. Like to be, I grew up honest. in the country, yeah. and we had a burn barrel okay. at the back of our property along a field, and we would burn most of our trash. Yeah, I mean, very environmentally yeah. Cautious, yeah. cautious family. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what, what else were the 1910s like? Oh, hey, hey got jokes. <laughs> I got do jokes. all day. Oh my gosh, because you're significantly older than I'm me. Probably Just... older than everyone in the room right now. Yes. <laughs> oh, who else is in the room? Who Kylie? else is in the room? Why don't you tell us? <laughs> I am so excited that we have Mary Beth McClure here. Hey, hi guys. Hey, Mary Beth came uh, was a part of uh, Inspiration Ministries and walked through uh, that program. Yeah. And through that, we had the awesome opportunity to answer questions and and about about the bible about who jesus is and just watched god transform yeah watched her meet jesus be baptized and just like a life of it's so much fun to watch people's lives be transformed from from darkness and brokenness to uh meeting jesus mm. and seeing the light and seeing how he not just makes everything super sweet and easy but transforms a life into a life of health and growth and maturity and we got to see that and i'm super excited that she's going to be on uh on the podcast today and next week i'm sure we're going to get a two-parter out of this mary beth welcome to the podcast hi glad to be here thanks for having me yeah hey we just like i'm your story is so compelling every time i've heard it 
uh, multiple occasions. However you want to, wherever you want this to go, wherever you want it to start, tell us your story. Yeah. All right. So I grew up in Wells County, which is around Bluffton, Ossian area, um, on a little small livestock farm. And, and just for our listeners who don't know, that whole area is little small livestock farms. It is. Kind of area. <laughs> just, just imagine farm and then smaller. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to clarify. We have, we have some listeners True. outside of Fort True. Wayne. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, the only people that aren't small livestock farmers are the big crop farmer families. So that's how it goes down there. <laughs> but uh, my earliest memories that I can pick apart through therapy, I used to not have early childhood memories mm -hmm. um, from my trauma I'll get into later, but we've been picking them apart. So my earliest memories are like playing with animals and stuff. Like on sure. days we didn't have school, I was a small enough child. I would pretend to be the animal for the day. So like I'd crawl into rabbit cages and stand up on the sheep feed troughs <laughs> with them when they're eating and headbutt the sheep and the goats and just play around with them. Yeah. And that's what I remember, like crawling in the dog kennels and all that stuff or hunting dogs. I just remember all that stuff. Uh, those are my good memories um, from that. But the memories that stick out the most start around the ages of seven and eight. And that's when I started being molested and raped by a family member. And it continued for a while. My memory breaks up there a lot. They say it's because of the brain trauma when you're a young child. Sure, it tries yeah. to block it. So most of my memories start around the age of 11. So I think the rape was ending at 10. My parents knew about it going on. Um, my memory of them finding out was them sending out the person that did it to go chop wood and then I'm the one that got in trouble. And I was supposed to just stay quiet about it. Wow. Uh, and that was really hard. And we were a big church family, but they had, they were the, um, I call them the hypocritical Christians, the ones that need to look perfect, but behind closed doors are not. And also a lot of things went on at the church that they allowed to happen that I know now are not good things to do. Uh, at the time I didn't know any better. It's what I grew up in. It's a church environment I grew up in where they allowed that stuff to go on as long as you were a front pew sitting member mm. and, or you were in the worship band or something, you could, you were justified doing things that were not right or good, such as raping kids. I wasn't the only one that it happened to or cheating on your spouse or other things like that, wow. that just morally aren't good anyways, but right, right. <laughs> somehow they, they cherry picked different Bible verses and tried to justify it. Like they found the incest Bible verses and, um, from the old Testament and they totally skipped a part where it was wrong or that God was angry about it, but they're just like, yeah, this happens. And it's even in the Bible. Wow. Uh, that's, that's some of my earliest memories. Um, so after that ended, uh, we still had some physical abuse going on and my brother and I were the main ones receiving that end. And that stopped when I was about 16, 15, 16, <coughs> but the rest of my life continued, I guess, as a normal teenager. Um, you know, I had attitudes. I took my anger out on my mom. Uh, we bashed heads a lot. It got worse as I got older because then I started calling her out on stuff. Like some of our arguments were totally my fault being a teenager. 
but some of them was me watching her interact with adults as I got like 17 and 18 and I started calling her out on her stories changing and different things like that. Why, why are you saying this and that? Why, why do you say to love one person, but then the moment they turn their back, you're bashing them and talking crap. Uh, I didn't like that already. And so that just created more of a divide between us. Uh, it festered into a hatred between us. So at 18, I graduated early. I snuck out my belongings from the upstairs, dropped them onto a little porch roof we had and fell down onto the ground and loaded my stuff up in the back of my car. And when school graduated for spring break, that's when, or school ended for spring break, that's when I graduated. So I took off and headed to Michigan. I was done with it. And I wanted to leave everyone behind. So I went out and that was the first time in my life I chose to be homeless, but I was living out of a car and it was something I wanted to do. So mm. to me, it's not a, so much of a negative thing mm. at the time. It was more just like, now it's cool to travel around in a van and live mm. that way. I just chose to live out of my car <laughs> and do it yeah. before it was cool. Uh, so that's what I did. And I found alcohol pretty early on. That's what a lot of people do. I was just, I, I guess nowadays... People my age might call me a goody two-shoes when I was a teenager, and I tell them I didn't have sex, I didn't do drugs, I didn't do alcohol, we didn't smoke. Um, we chewed on the farm. That was the worst thing we did, but nothing else was allowed on the farm. So I was going out and meeting these people and having my bad pass from the church. So I'm running into these people I'm meeting now, and I'm like, well, you're a good person. You're not hateful and evil, mm. but you're doing these things. So I was very confused because anytime I asked questions about stuff growing up, I was just told bad people do it, they go to hell. Wow. So it, nothing was explained to me. It was just, if you do that, you're bad, you're evil, you're hatred. And then I was meeting people that weren't. And it might've been something as simple as like smoking cigarettes, or maybe they were old enough and drinking alcohol, but they weren't drunks because there is a difference between being an alcoholic and having like a few drinks. I understand that. Um, but all this was negative to me. And so I'm meeting these good people and I'm like, I want to try that. So I just go crazy and dive head in and jump into all of it. And I should have taken warning because alcoholism does run into the run in the family. And that plays a bigger part in my story later on. Uh, while 18, I was working at a place and there was this girl that it wasn't her real name. I found out later, but she went by Gaia. And I came out of work one day and my car wouldn't start. And so Gaia ended up offering me a ride. So I ride with her. And at this time I had came back to Indiana and I'm in Fort Wayne. And we pick up two guys in her car. One sits in the front, one sits in the back with me. No big deal, it's a car, I, I think. I'm still very trusting of people. Mm -hmm. um, I learned from the party friends I made that People are good people and they aren't out to hurt you. And so it's, it's just a safe environment is what I thought. And, um, I ended up watching my first drug deal happen. We pulled into a very shady area and I watched that go on. And that made me very nervous because I was not down for that. I wasn't involved with drugs at the time. At the time I had smoked weed like once, but mainly it was just drinking. So when the drug deal got done, both guys got in the back seat with me. And they started touching on me and they weren't letting me get out and they weren't listening to me when I said I wanted to get dropped off at places or even just try to, I ended up trying to jump out of the car and they wouldn't let me. 
And then I was taken to a house on the outskirts of town. I remember in the distance seeing a curve of the interstate. So it's somewhere around there. Um, we've, we, meaning detectives and I, have never been able to pinpoint location. But Gaia apparently had a drug debt, a very hefty one. And they ran a small sex trafficking ring out of their house. So this is the first time in a long time I've talked about this in detail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, making me a little flustered. Take but uh, it's good to get it out, though. Yeah, yeah. It's part of my healing. Okay. And uh, so in that house, we were tied up, and they used duct tape to secure your ankles. And it's the only time I've ever done hard drugs unwillingly, so I don't know how to classify that really. Yeah. Technically, they were in my body. It obviously didn't do them willingly, but they shoot them up between your toes. So that's the only time I've ever used needles, and that's gave me, like, this huge phobia of them since sure. then. So we had different Johns coming in. There was four of us girls that were sex trafficked at the time. One of them ended up dying. I watched them drag her body pass while we were there. And another one, I don't think she died, but she was beside me on the other side of the curtain, and she got beat until she was quiet. So, and there was no noises coming while they kept kicking her body. And so that's what they did. Um, the guy that ran the house ended up trusting me. Uh, it was a few weeks of a stay. He ended up, um, I guess, taking favor to me. And um, he started trusting me, so he'd untie me. And while you're drugged up, you can't do a lot yeah. with whatever the hard drugs were they put in. But well, I was sobering up at one point a little bit to where I, I could control my walking. We were in the kitchen, and there was a girl there, and there was only one other guy at the house at the time. We didn't have any Johns in at the moment. And uh, <clears throat> his guard was down. And I, I grabbed a kitchen knife, a big, the biggest cutting one on the block that I could grab. And we got in a scuffle, and I ended up cutting him a few times. And the last time I cut him, I, I remember um, putting it into his gut. And I ran out of the house. And I ran down a road until someone picked me up and took me to the police station. The police took me to the sexual assault center. And then a uh, best friend at the time came and got me after all that was done. And I ended up detoxing with her. Thankfully, you know, I hadn't been on drugs very long, so yeah. it wasn't as bad of a detox yeah. as some addicts go through nowadays. Wow. But uh, after that, my mental health took a deep dive. And I quit trusting humanity. And I gave up on God. Because why would God allow that? To me, that had to, like, God plans things out in your life. And, um, okay, uh, but, um, so after that, I ended up going to college and at college, I was still real big into partying <clears throat> and on my 19th birthday, I got absolutely wasted on some drugs that people had brought in and a bunch of drinking and there was a huge bottle of tequila there that we finished off. Most of it was for me because it was my birthday. And I remember this guy kissing up on me. 
And I pushed him away and told him no. And later, and by later, I mean like six months later, I end up finding out that when I passed out, he had carried me. We were at the next door neighbors. He had carried me from that house over to our party house and taken me upstairs to his bedroom and raped me. That is how I conceived my son. So I ended up finishing college. I sobered up. You know, I watched caffeine. I didn't chew anymore. I was trying to take care of my baby because I had a purpose. Abortion wasn't, even though I wasn't Christian at the time, abortion wasn't a thing for me. Like, I, I just knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. If I couldn't keep the child, I was going to give it up for adoption. But uh, I ended up having my son in August of... 2011 and it was hard at first I'll admit I wasn't the best mom with him I left him with his grandma more to go off and party uh, I thought that early on for about the first two years of his life he reminded me a lot of his rapist okay. and that bothered me but he's a wonderful kid now and yeah I'm just it was a really crappy situation, a really horrible way to get pregnant. Yeah. On the bright side now, I don't remember it being raped. Like, that's the small silver lining. Wow. So I used to struggle for a while with wanting to remember. And then when I was um, 21, my landlord, which was a friend's uncle, I was renting out of a small cabin because I had moved around. My party lifestyle didn't have me very secure. So I kept moving from place to place. And a landlord at the time came over for drinks. It's like I said, this was my friend's uncle. I had known him since I was 18, thought I could trust the dude. But he ended up spiking one of my drinks after he'd made advances on me. And I told him no, that we couldn't be together because I was... 21 and he was in his 40s and to me that was really weird but he ended up raping me and I woke up to that uh, halfway through and then when I was 25 I was went out with some friends the only ones I trusted to go out with I'd went out with them for like a year and I woke up in the morning we we're at a friend's house and uh, <clears throat> the one I was closest with in the friends group started trying to pull off my blankets and I was in a, in a t-shirt with the blankets around me and he ended up raping me. I told him he was hurting me and all that stuff, but they don't care. So that was my sober rape and that one really messed me up and I just dove into alcohol more and I lost time with my kids from my lifestyle choices. So it was just, it's a really rough time every day. It started out my alcoholism, which I do have. I'm just a grateful, sober yeah. alcoholic yeah. right now is the way I look at it. Every day is a reminder mm. to be sober. I have 10 months and 20 days sober now. Come on. So, <laughs> thank awesome. you. That's yes. awesome. The longest I've been sober since 18. Yeah. Wow. I never made it past eight months before. Good for so, you. So it feels really great. But, uh, yeah, so when my kids were gone... I was just home alone, and I just started getting myself stupid drunk. I just wanted to black out. It started out by like, hey, I want to feel happy, because you get that 
there's that small moment where you start drinking and being tipsy where you have like this euphoria mm. almost, which draws a lot of people into it. I think they crave that small feeling. At least that's how it is for me personally. But then I would continue going till I was super drunk and in and out of blackouts and I became really suicidal. I had had suicidal thoughts ever since I was a teenager. I had made some half butt attempts as a teenager, nothing really just cutting with a razor, nothing that's going to do any severe damage. I just didn't know what I was doing as a teenager. But at the age of 28, um, I decided to get real serious about it. And 2019 was a really bad year for me. I was dating someone that had died that December. We had grown up together down the road. We were hunting buddies, farm buddies, all that stuff, knowing each other our whole lives. So it wasn't just losing. It was more of losing a friend than anything because we didn't have that love, romantic love, but we had that deep friendship. And so when he left, that was kind of the tipping point. It wasn't everything that was wrong with me, but it just added to my pile of crap, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just made it all crumble down. And so in 2019, I cut myself really bad, uh, trying to go deeper and deeper every time. I would get drunk because I couldn't do it sober. Mm. I would want to die sober, but I had to get drunk to do it. And I started drinking every day, the kind where, like, I'd drink till 3 a.m., work would start at 5 a.m., and I'd start getting the shakes around noons because I needed more alcohol. Wow. So I was really bad. And that's just a lifestyle, like, I lived. I'd put my drinks in different containers so my mm. kids wouldn't see them. I started drinking around them, which was always a, used to be a rule that I didn't drink around them. And then I started doing that, and it was just really bad. And in June of 2019, I had cut myself really bad trying to hit what they call the pig vein in the thigh. Um, I didn't go deep enough or high enough to hit it. I was too drunk to be accurate, thankfully now. Thank God. Um and I mixed a bunch of pills and took them. And then I decided instead of hanging myself, because I had tried that before without success because it keeps breaking and you end up like not being able to swallow food afterwards. It's just one star, don't recommend. Mm. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I make jokes in my dark humor now. So yeah. <laughs> that's how I deal with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and so I decided to, go drive off a bridge outside of Markle. And that's where I was headed at the time when police pulled me over. I ended up with my second DUI. I'd got my first DUI three months after turning 21. And so that second one should have been a warning sign to me, but it wasn't. As with most addicts, you just keep going. So after dealing with all that and trying to get my life back together, I was only sober for eight months. That was my first time in recovery. And then I dove back into it really hard. Why? I think I just wanted to drink like normal people. You have people that don't have issues with it, and they can drink and enjoy one or two drinks and be fine. And so I wanted to be like them. But the moment I went back, I was down in eight to ten beers right away. That was just warming up. Mm. And then I'd like my nightly was ten to twelve beers. And if I wanted to go further, I'd finish off with whiskey. So that's how I started living my life again. I ended up with my third DUI last year. And while in jail, I lost both my jobs. I lost my home that I had lived in for six years. 
I lost everything. Suddenly, I wasn't a functional alcoholic anymore. And I got out, and I had a friend that just got out of rehab. He convinced me to try to get help. He bailed me out because my bio mom had all my money, and she wouldn't bail me out to get help. She wanted me to sit in jail. But he ended up bailing me out, this friend. And... uh, Convinced me to get help. So I started calling around to different places. Sober living places didn't want to take me because I admitted that I had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder in 2019. And they're like, oh, your mental health, you know, that's a, it scares some people because they don't know much about it. It's not talked about a lot. So they don't want me. And then mental health places didn't want me because of my addiction. So it was hard to get into. And I caught up to the Northeastern Center is where I was referred to by a sober living place. There's this lady there that's good friends with the Hope for Her Inspiration Ministries group. She referred me over to them. I put out applications. I got phone calls from two of the staff ladies. The only thing that was asked of me by the lady that runs a program as an agnostic, because it's a very Christian-based program, it's faith-based. She goes, are you open-minded? I said, yes. At this time, I was desperate to try anything. I didn't believe God was going to cure my problems. I didn't, I was still angry at God, Yeah. but I said yes out of desperation. And that was the best desperate answer I've ever given in my life. Uh-huh. The only time probably a desperate answer has been good. So that was awesome. And I ended up going in the Hope for Her program with Inspiration Ministries in Auburn, Indiana. And these people were weird. They were Jesus freaks. <laughs> like they talked about God all the dang time and they loved reading their Bibles and they did devotions and we just talked about God all the time. And it was a lot coming into it Sure. with the background I had of the church I was raised in. And I was like, you're different types of Christians. Wow. Like there's, there's different groups of Christians. There's the Christians I grew up with. There's the Christians I've met as an adult that were swingers and did all this other crazy lifestyle. And then there's these Christians. What kind of Christians are you guys? And I had so many questions. I remember asking Kylie a bunch of questions one night. I cornered him right out that door outside of the sanctuary. And I was like, hey. And I was throwing him all these questions. And he was giving me some good answers and, you know, admitting when he didn't have all the answers. And I'm questioning things like how's the universe created and certain stuff from the Bible. And he's he's doing his best. I don't know. He might have thought I was crazy. (laughs) But (laughs) just peppering him with questions. I peppered all the staff with questions. And then in October of last year, here during the burn at the crossing, uh, I felt a pull. This guy came up and he spoke into the microphone and said that there's someone here that has something to do with witchcraft, which I wasn't so like, oh, that's me. But I dabbled in witchcraft a little bit while agnostic. I tried finding a a religion, so I kind of looked into different stuff. Not a big deal. But then he talks about them being a non-believer and their struggles with the darkness and how they need to come to Jesus. And I just started trembling and shaking so bad. And I was like, why does this feel like it's caught out to me? And so I walked up and I ended up, I walked up to him and we went down on our knees with his wife and I told him, you know, a snippet about me, 30 seconds. And then we prayed and I gave my life over to God and I was just sobbing. And as soon as we got done with that prayer, it was like a calm washed over me. And I was at peace and I felt so good. And I sat there and talked with them the rest of the night and it was absolutely amazing. And 
Um, I'm going to backtrack real quick before I became a Christian at Hope for Her. My first time at the crossing, we're sitting here, and there's this man sitting behind me on that pew, and I'm sitting in the chair. And it's my first time at church, my first weekend there. And I was still thinking in my head that I want to walk out and find some pills to overdose on because I I knew the proper dosage I would need now. And you learn where to go find them. Addicts can get a hold of anything. So this guy's talking about his dad's suicide. And he's talking about how he went out there and he talked with the waitress that God had felt him pulled to pray with her and he asked her what he can pray with her about and she had been having her own suicidal thoughts and I felt like you know how in those movies there's these neon arrows pointing at people I felt like that was me I felt so caught out I just remember sitting there hunched over staring straight at him like how does he know how does he know why is he talking about suicide why is he doing all this this to this day that man and his wife I consider them family and I absolutely love them. We have, I ended up telling him what his story meant to me and we have got such a great bond now. And I say that he saves my life and he's always like, God saved your life. And it is just, you never know where your stories will touch people. And it's amazing. We should, we should interrupt here to remind our listeners that was Doug, right? Super fan Doug. Yes, super, super fan, fan Doug, Doug. Just a few what a month and a half or so ago, maybe two months ago, when what she's talking about? No, that we had him on. Oh, that he was on. Yeah, yeah, it's been yeah, yeah, it's a couple months now, and so just I don't know, just connections, help, helping connect a few dots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's super yeah. fan, Doug. I yeah. didn't know if I should name drop. I <laughs> no, wanted no, to, no, but no, they, yeah. He, yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah. If he's cool with it, yeah, Doug, you're awesome, and I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to mean to interrupt. I just you know I just wanted to connect those yeah. dots. No, you're fine. Yeah. Yes, that was Doug, and so I love getting to see him and stay connected on social media. And him and his wife were very supportive while I finished the program. And always let me know that they're there for me if I ever had dark moments. Mm-hmm. So going through the program the rest of the time, it was a new light had came over me after becoming a Christian. And I suddenly had a hope in me that all my life through everything I've tried, all the different religions I dabbled in, belief systems, um, trying out bodybuilding and rock climbing, just something to find happiness, nothing worked. And then this gave me hope for the future, for the first time in my life that I can recall consistently having hope. And going through the program was really great. There's a lot of classes to do. They help you get your life together. Uh, It's been awesome. You create, I consider them family, the staff and the girls that you make in the house. Uh, They have a men's program too. I hope it's just as good for the men. It probably is. And... Although us women tend to have better time. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, not to interrupt, but I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm um, thinking back, it was a few months ago that we had Courtney and Marilyn on. Yeah. Who, who run that, you know, yes, who run that, that portion of the, of, the, uh, of the ministry. We had, we had Chris on as well and, you know, who's uh, kind of house. Chris graduated. Yeah. She yeah, works yeah. with yeah, them now. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're, we're, we're super grateful for that program and yeah. Yeah, we're with you. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, yeah. and it does seem like the women have a better time. but the when the fights happen in the house they're crazy when it blows up it blows up because we're women and i understand that (laughs) lots of chocolate in the house (laughs) Uh, but yeah so it was good and um when was it was it march i think it was march you asked me kylie 
asked me out of the blue. We had actually just finished up our Wednesday night Bible study, and we had this lag for one week. And Kylie asked me that week, he goes, hey, we have the hub, and this is where a bunch of teenagers from a group home come. You know, we hang out and talk with them, try to preach a good word. Would you like to come and give your testimony? So I checked with staff, and they said yes. It was perfect timing, God's timing. It just happened to be that very week that we had an open Wednesday night, and I was able to come and talk with these teenagers, and it was the most amazing thing to give, what, a 10, 15-minute version Mm -hmm. of my testimony, skipping some of the heavy details, focusing more, I found out, focusing more on my childhood rape and my suicidal past really connected with them. Yeah. So when I finished my testimony, this girl walks up in my arms after our Q&A, and she walks up in my arms, and she's just sobbing. And I started crying with her, and she says, I've never heard a story like mine before. And I'm getting all teary-eyed again because it hurts me that people have been through the same stuff that these girls. And I just, I, I preached to them about finding nonviolent ways to deal with things. But sitting with them one-on-one and hearing their stories, I wanted to be violent. <laughs> I wanted to, sure. you know, hurt the people that hurt them. And the idea that these grown men can hurt little kids is absolutely terrifying as a parent. And it hurts when you've lived through it. But it was the most amazing experience of my life was giving my testimony with those kids. And it lit a bigger fire in my soul that I want to work with teenagers. The Q&A was awesome. They were both very interactive. The guys and the girls were both very interactive with staff, asking a lot of questions, a lot of good questions. My time with them afterwards was awesome. And... That was in March, and right after that, the devil tried to attack me, and I started having suicidal thoughts. I had, like, this high for a while, and then I crashed really hard. So, thankfully, with the help of the staff and with God, I was able to recognize the signs and talk with people about what I was feeling, and I went inpatient and got help, got some med changes, which is needed, you know, not for everyone, but for some people. And for me, that's needed, and that's okay. So... I got myself back together again, and I ended up finishing the program and graduating in June. So just last month, I've had a month of freedom. Yay! Yay. (laughs) And it's been awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still staying connected and going to celebrate recovery when I'm not working um, and staying connected with the girls. I would like to start volunteering to hang out at the house with them sometimes when I'm not working. And I'm getting life goals now. I mean... On top of therapy, I recently just got a life coach. We're setting a bunch of goals in motion, a bunch of plans. I would like to go back to school and get a bachelor's degree in psychology focusing on young adults and trauma. And I want to work with teenagers. Once I start driving again, I get my license back in September, and I'm really excited about that. But I would like to start working at a group home. Um, preferably the group home I gave my testimony at, if they still have job openings, I keep my eye on that to see what's open and what's not. But there's just a lot of exciting things to look forward to. And I still get to see my kids and they're so proud of me. They're proud I'm doing well. We're working on that. I got court coming up for them and I know God will be with me. And it's just, it's so awesome now. It's different being out I want to say out in public, but it's not like I was hidden away in the program. <clears throat> but it's different being out on my own and being a Christian. 
and getting to interact with people now and you want to share the message yeah. you want to share the good word you want to share the radical change in your life that he has made for you and how the bible isn't just written by man and it's written by god and what you can pick from it romans is my favorite book of the bible there's so much from romans that you can get and i believe it is romans i want to say 528 but um or it might be chapter 428. Anywho, it's a part that says, and it, it sticks to me a lot when I'm having hard days, but it's that when you cannot pray or do not know what mm. to pray for, the Holy Spirit will groan yeah. for yeah. you and he will pray for you. And that to me brings so much comfort that if I don't know what to pray for, I write down that scripture and I'm like, here, God, this is my prayer today. Help me get through this. But honestly, since being out on my own, life has been great and I'm doing things to get things in track and I'm I'm trying to be a better person every day. I'm trying to be a better Christian woman. I'm trying to get the message to my kids about God because I didn't do that before. So I feel like, kind of feel like I need to make up for lost time, you know? <laughs> but my kids are already seeing that change. Just living it, I think, will reach my kids the most. And I'm excited about that. That's, so, yeah, I think that kind of sums up my yeah, story. <clears throat> that, there, is, there is stuff in there that, I mean, I've listened to your story on a couple occasions that I didn't know, like just absolutely heart wrenching. And, and even just sitting here, I can tell like still very fresh emotionally. Yeah. You know, thinking back to some of that stuff. And yeah, it, it even makes the, the transformation, the, mm. the, the, the reality of how dark, you know, the, the brokenness and evil in this world can be and yet to see the light come on through the mm -hmm. truth through the yeah. truth of Jesus is so powerful and, and several times you use this term like your story is a story of hope like there there is there is always hope even as dark as it gets and you know what <clears throat> just so just to reiterate or to, to um, emphasize like the way that this room when you shared your testimony to those teenage kids who have walked through and are walking through some level of darkness, abuse, whatever mm -hmm. trauma that's gotten them to where they are, like there was a tangible expression of the Holy Spirit in this room. They were yes. so engaged with you, like watching that girl run. I mean, the questions they ask and watching her run into your arms just weeping and then to see you individually you know just pour yourself out into to a couple of those girls that evening i mean it was just there's no other way to explain it except it was the power of god through you and it was just beautiful like when you say i want to work with teenagers who have been yeah. and experienced trauma like it, it was it was as evident as anything I've ever seen that night in you. And yes. Um I just man, your 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 story, Jesus story through you is one of the most powerful that I've had the opportunity to see and incredible. I can't wait to yeah, I love it. continue to dive. Sometimes I still get it. chills just thinking about what God has done for me. Like I feel like I have goosebumps right now. It's just amazing and sharing my story is the greatest feeling ever that night of the testimony was amazing and <clears throat> genesis 50 20 
has been a verse that I bring up anytime people are like, wow, how can you be happy after going through that is some of the questions I get. And I'm like, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He can still use it. It just took me 30 years to figure that out, but he can still use it for good. And that helps me heal and it helps others heal too. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Thank you for sharing your story. I know so much of that was, uh, intense and intensely personal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things, I mean, we were just chatting a little bit before, you know, before we hit record of like, Hey, you know, Kylie and I, we try and be vulnerable, but you, you do what you want kind of thing. Like you do, you, you share as much or as little as you want. And, and to see you just take that open door to say, Hey, I'm going to lay it all out like that. You know, I know it's, we talk about it in terms of like, when you do that, when you, when you shine light, it just, it kicks the legs out from the devil. Yes. Right. And, and I know that people, even people listening, right. Who maybe relate to one part of your story or another part or all of it, right. Like it's going to, it's going to take away some of the enemy's power in their life and give them an opportunity to step into more light and freedom, just like you've been able to see. and do. Yes. And we have to take away the power of the enemy yeah. because if he gets a foothold, He'll just take more and more. Yeah. Every bit that he can. I mean, that that was your story, right? Like, yes. you know, I never thought I'd do blank, and then I did blank, and then a minute later, well, I, I I never I never did this around my kids, but then I did this around my like. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it always always goes deeper and further and costs us more mm-hmm. than ever we than we ever thought and we ever intended. Yeah, and you aren't. You might think you're living life when you're doing that. That's how the worldly standards are nowadays. But we got to go against the grain. And it feels so much better living God's way. Yeah. That's a good, well, well that's, that's, that's a good place. Yeah. Yeah. Good place to, to wrap this one. We're coming back for round yeah. two yeah. next Come week. Back. Yeah. So Tune in next week. For sure. Because we have Mary Beth coming back. If you, um, if you need help, if you yeah. need hope, reach out to somebody. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we always talk about that. Mary Beth referred to it when it comes to a counselor, therapy, medication, you know, uh, yeah. what, isn't there, there's a new 988, right? A new yes, national. A it's a new one that came out for the suicide prevention lifeline. Yes. I didn't even know this. Tell yeah, me about it. Instead of 911 yeah. for an emergency, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can die. If suicide, um, if you're having suicidal thoughts, you need nice. somebody to talk to. 988, dial it and talk to somebody. Yep. And if you need someone to talk to on a more personal level, you can reach out to this podcast and they can get a hold of me. And I'm willing to talk with anyone Thank about yes. anything. Yeah, I'm awesome. here for you and I love you. Yeah. Love that's it. Awesome. Love it. We'll see you uh, next week. Come back next yeah. week. Hear more from Mary Beth. Yeah. All right. Peace. Bye. Bye. Bye.